My guests today are all folks who were regular background on the show. So folks who are our Secret Service, uh, uniform. Okay, guys, who's ever doing that? I'm so, it's I'm John, so Juan. Sorry. John Juan. John. My cat is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My cat is screaming at me for food and I'm, and she keeps on bothering me. So, but then, then I, so you could actually get to the way with that, John, if you muted your mic during that time. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Tricks of the so, trade. Like, you can mute, but when I'm talking and you're making noise, now no, I have to kind of, that's no good. John, John Juan, you need to go home now. I know, I know. I, I, I look tired too. I, How I, can I, I do my <laughs> job if background are feet? <laughs> I'm just going to pantomime right now. Okay? <laughs> All right. So that, there we go. Hi, folks. Welcome to Below the Line, the podcast where we talk about what happens on set. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Los Angeles for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. Today, we're going to be talking about the West Wing. On Rotten Tomatoes, they don't have a critical consensus, but here's the series info. Martin Sheen and Rob Lowe, as the U.S. president and his deputy communications director, play politics in this innovative Washington, D.C. drama series from award-winning producers John Wells, Aaron Sorkin, and Thomas Schlamme. The average tomato meter is 67%. The seasons are a spread of the high from the first season that came in at 93%. Sixth season was not as popular at 40%, so some spread on there. Now, I was on the show, uh, just to note up front, as the DGA trainee for 10 weeks during this first season. For those who are not familiar, the DGA training program uh, places DGA trainees on different shows in 10-week periods, so it's a sort of a rotating position. And then I went back to the show third season as the second second assistant director. Now, my guests today are all folks who were regular background on the show. On a show like West Wing, we had a cadre of folks uh, that we would bring back over and over again. They would play the Uniform Secret Service. They would play the staffers, other folks that we had on a regular basis, because it's certainly okay on a show like that to see the same people going back and forth. Now, it wasn't every day or every episode, but the scenes we had in the White House we would start with the same group of folks. So these folks got to spend a lot of time with the actors and uh, with the crew. David Katz, you were on all seven seasons of West Wing. Yes, I started Thanksgiving of the first season. And then season two, I became Richard Schiff, Toby's stand-in for the rest of the run of the series. Thanks, David. What are you doing now? I am presently living in Austin, Texas with my wife and two kids. And I'm the girls' athletic director at a prep school. Thanks, David. Thanks for joining us today. Annette Sousa, uh, you were on the show for the better part of six seasons, you told me. Yes, I was. And um, I started back in August of 1999 and continued through uh, October of 2005. And what are you doing now? Currently, I'm up in Ottawa, Canada with my fiance, but I'm still on occasion. I will work still in the entertainment industry. I've toured throughout Australia with a theatrical production as well as done catering for HGTV numerous uh, gigs that are still out there that I enjoy doing. Well, Annette, thanks for joining us as well. And then finally, uh, John Juan, you are also on the show for the better part of six seasons. Yes, that's correct. And uh, presently, um, I am a writer now, and I have uh, two television uh, pilots in consideration at Lionscape. Congratulations, John. Good Thank luck you. to you on that front. But um, 
What do you guys think about that idea that um, you're spending time with the same people episode after episode, week after week? What was that like? If I can just say something, it was it was incredible only because we became a family after a while and we we enjoyed working together, not only the crew, but also the cast. When I started on the West Wing, I had just come from a series a year before. I was on it for two years. That was so bitter and evil that when I started on the West Wing and everyone was nice, it all started with Martin. And to come onto a set like that after really, it was a really bad scene, the show that I came from. I didn't know if I could talk to the actors and it was not like that. West Wing was wonderful. I mean, we're all family. Uh, David, you, you you mentioned there in passing, uh, it started with Martin, and Mart, Martin Sheen really did set the tone, I think, on set for that show. You know, if I could interject with a quick short story, I do know there were times when, if we had a very complicated scene with a lot of background, I did have to ask that the background not speak to Martin, not because he didn't want to be spoken to, but because... <laughs> They engaged in a conversation. Martin would ask them about everything going on, and I might never get him to set. And we did have to make our shooting day. Uh, so we tried to work together as a team, the ADs and background, I think, as well. Not with you. The regular folks understood this and what needed to get done. But our folks who were day playing, Martin was just kind to everybody on the set. Now, if I could add that, um, before the West Wing, uh, I was working with uh, Tommy Schlamme and Aaron Sorkin on their other show, uh, Sports Night, and I would like to say that they also created this really inviting, you know, environment uh, for all the crew and the background. And I've, you know, and they kind of transferred that ideology and that vibe over to the West Wing as well. John, you talked about being on Sports Night. Had it all been regular shows for you, or was there a time when you were doing much more bouncing around set to set? Um, no, actually. I would say that Sports Night was the first show I got on. There was another show. I don't know if I should, you know, name that other show too. Uh, it was also <laughs> it was a really good show, and uh, I had to sort of choose because Tommy asked me, he's like, "Hey, do you want to come to the uh, West Wing?" I was like, "Uh, you know, I had this other offer to to be on this other show, but I chose the West Wing because I felt." Although the other show was very, very successful, I, you know, felt there was more of a, like a family feel to to the West Wing and something that, you know, I felt on on a sports night and I wanted to continue that uh, with the West Wing. If I can just interject just quickly is that I was also on sports night and I was there for the first season of that show. And so got to know Aaron and uh, Tommy, pretty much everyone, Josh Molina, everyone that was on that same show. So. I probably saw you, John Juan. Well, actually, no, I came on the second season, so that's why we that's why we missed each other. Over on that Disney lot. Yeah, you guys think you might have missed each on sports night, but uh, Annette, do you think it's common that background travel with uh, producers to that degree? I, I happen to be um, a tour guide at Warner Brothers during uh, two summers and saw Tommy on the lot and knew they were doing a new show and had actually spoken to Tommy about the new show and that's pretty much how I jumped ship from sports night to, to uh, the West Wings you know it was uh, and got to know everyone I had seen Lou um, Llewellyn Wells and John Wells and everyone on the lot and knew that there was something something big coming up so uh, I had gotten to take my tours on the sets on the West Wing sets as they were being built 
initially back in 1999. And I had started with the godfather of my children now, Jeff Kay, on numerous shows. And we worked with Neil Ahern, who became UPM and a producer on the West Wing. And when Neil got the West Wing, he said for me to come over and he'll get me on. And that's my end on how I got to the West Wing. So I've pretty much worked with friends and networking. And I was on shows that were ran for a while. It's the name of the game is networking. (laughs) You learn that real quick. (laughs) It's got to be a dream job, I think, for background then to have people you like working with and where it's stable enough. And there's enough scenes that like we spent 75 to 80 percent of our time in those sets uh, in the in the White House sets. In that Christmas sweater, sometimes 75 to 80 percent. Yes. <laughs> those Christmas episodes where we had to uh, for continuity wear the same clothing for was it eight, nine, ten days in a row. I think I mentioned that to Skid. Can I just say that? To this day, you know, I'm working with predominantly I do fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And when I mentioned that I stood in for the Foo Fighters, John Bon Jovi, Sting on Studio 60, I came out and worked with. They don't care about the actors. They care about the performers, the singers. And that's where my niche is, who's talking to the kids about music. And that makes me a rock star because I stood in for rock stars. Yeah, I remember those uh, standing in for the Foo Fighters with you over at the House of Blues. Yeah, that was a good time. No, that was uh, Spoo Fighters were at the Maka Plane. Uh, oh, that was uh, who sings the song for Big Bang Theory? They do the intro to the Big Bang Theory. That band. Oh right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was I can the picture the band, but I just cannot. And the name. that night, that night when we filmed at the House of Blues and we heard the song probably fifty times, we ended up getting Golden Time, which is after sixteen hours. Fifteen. The 16th hour at 16.01, you start making probably like $150 an hour because it, we went so long because of the music. <laughs> it was an exhausting but wonderful day. Now, yeah. put that day in a little bit of context. I'm not sure I remember the episode that you guys are, are referencing specifically. I didn't tell you we were going to restrict it just to third third season episodes. Or was that? It's possible we've I've forgotten <laughs> after, after this time. But no, you, so, but so folks would come on the West Wing um, who were playing themselves, performers in real life. Uh, this is the opportunity you're talking about. Is that right? Right. That was uh, that was so much fun. And, you know, our show was so hot. You know, we had Bill Clinton come walking through the set. I'm saying hi to Bill Clinton. Al Gore, I stood in for Al Gore when we did an episode of Saturday Night Live that they pumped into the live episode from L.A. And James, uh, James was, Taylor's wife I stood in for that one time just to see James Taylor in person was amazing, too. We were blessed. Our show was so hot. It was just it was wonderful. So I want to revisit something that you were talking about earlier uh, when you said you were a tour guide on the uh, Warner Brothers lot. I know yes. first season we were actually on two different stages. And right. we were doing the walk and talks uh, where, uh, as uh, Aaron Sorkin was famous for, two people or more than two people would be walking from office to office, room to room, having dialogue conversation. But there were times we would start on one stage and then have to do uh, someone have to wipe right in front of the camera so that we could pick yes. it up from the same spot over on the other side. Yes. And then, so that was that was pretty exciting that first season. Third season, they had put us on a larger stage where it was all connected now. We no longer had to do that little trickery, lose the time 
between stages. Right. But I think that's just uh, reflects the, the commitment of Warner Brothers to the show over time. Especially those basement scenes. Remember those? And Don had the steady cam and he had to go backwards up the stairs. And um, I remember doing, you know, having to continue scenes there as, as opposed to being having everything on one stage. Another area that I remember, and I'm curious for you guys, um, given that you guys were regular on the show, this was a show where the DGA trainee's primary responsibility was to oversee the background, to provide some leadership there and communication. In the beginning, um, as the second second, I would do most of the setting, particularly when the trainee was new. But over time, we would have the trainee setting, setting more of the background as well. I'm wondering how that was for you guys. It's sort of this rotating position. It's only there for 10 weeks, different season to season, and particularly towards the end. I mean, honestly, you guys probably know better than uh, a lot of the ADs about how to make one of these scenes work. It got easier. It just, it was secondhand after, you know, after a while, after a couple of seasons. I mean, we, we I think we all knew how the 80s wanted to set us. And we, we all knew, like, we all watched the show, except for David. Uh, but uh, but we, we knew what we had to do to make the, the scene look good in the background. And, uh, you know, I just remember, uh, uh, I think it was probably somewhere in season six, where uh, our uh, second second Carrie Jones had made a bet with a uh, first AD or who was just a first AD for like just that episode uh, replacing somebody. And the bet was, I bet you that my background can set themselves, right? And I don't know I what the major was, but you know, we did it and it just went off without a hitch. And, uh, and that first AD was like really, really surprised. I, I know that it didn't always go off without a hitch. And we would, I, I know when I was setting background, I would warn you up front, okay, this is going to be a suicide cross. I think that that uh, first season, the way the sets were built, I just remember <laughs> when they were doing walk and talks down one of the halls, I don't know who it was, play, there was, you know, the, the fake doors leading to nowhere. They were actually leading just to behind a wall. And we were scrunched. There were two or three of us in between a wall and a door and then pretend, had to pretend like we were coming out from another hall to do suicide crosses. And it was not easy because you really couldn't tell where the camera was at that point. It was difficult because you were hiding behind some things. For those who are not familiar, uh, to do a suicide cross is to, uh, to actually cut right between the actor and the camera to give us a, a close wipe. And obviously, that's not something that's just happening in the background. Uh, a misstep or a miscue could ruin the shot. Well, and going back to crosses and the most nerve-wracking scene that I ever had on the West Wing, and I had speaking parts, and I wasn't as nervous as this. We did a very long walk and talk, and it was a three-minute walk and talk, roughly. Tommy Shalami is directing, and I start out doing all these crosses in one scene, and the final scene is me taking off my sport coat and wiping the camera to take us to the next scene somewhere else. And if I mess this up, the entire three minute walk and talk is messed up. And I was petrified. We did numerous takes and thank God I nailed every one of them. And that was, that was nerve wracking. <laughs> so when we did these walk and talks, like I had said earlier that I think there were 10 to 20 folks that were regular. 
but we might have 30 to 40 folks in those scenes, more or less. What do you guys think? No, I, right, that's... right around that that amount, maybe even you know a little bit less, a bit more, depending on what the scene was, obviously. So uh, whether it was a party scene or, or something, whether it was just in the bullpen or something, they just needed extra background people. Yeah. Yeah, or the situation room was mainly just the military and not too many more. I took some pride because of my uh, brief time in the military before coming to Hollywood. I just wanted to make sure that the right people were seen at the table. And when they were doing salutes, they did it correctly, those sort of things. That was my one small contribution to my time on uh, the West Wing as far as getting all that set. Now, a lot of the military folks, because they had fitted uniforms, they were regular folks as well, but for very limited scenes with that situation room. But we would bring other folks through the main sets and for the walk and talks. And then I remember matching up you guys because you knew the sets in and out with folks who maybe didn't as well. And so the two of you walk here and then you'll pick up this person there. Any particular experiences for you guys that uh, you're reminded of bringing in folks that maybe didn't work with us as regularly? So uh, we were filming one time in the situation room. Darren Scott was a background performer and Lee Ferranda standing in for some general in one of the scenes. And they had to read dialogue for the scene before the actors came in. And Darren Scott <laughs> is reading dialogue and he goes special oops. And Lee's like special oops, special ops. <laughs> and Lee, bless his heart, when he'd start laughing, he couldn't stop. Because so he's in tears. Oh my God. It was just, I wasn't even there and I'm still telling the story 12 years later. That's how funny. Special. Yeah. Oop. yeah. I, I've heard that story many a times. But can I just, this is the greatest story of all time. Lee and I are filming near the situation room. We're the only two stand-ins that day. Uh, Tommy's working and Aaron Sorkin comes to the set and Lee has to tell Aaron it was the episode that CJ goes and deals with their family back in Ohio, Alzheimer's, I think. And Lee felt compelled to tell Aaron Sorkin that it is the greatest episode he had ever written. <laughs> he goes up to Aaron Sorkin and tells him <laughs> last night's episode was the most wonderful episode of all time. It happens to be the only episode, the one and only episode that Aaron didn't write. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I am in tears. Too. I'm in tears. I have to walk away. I'm laughing. I'm standing there, dying a slow death. And Aaron goes, that's the episode. I, it was the only episode I did. Aaron told him that. It is still the funniest thing that ever happened. I have witnessed that. Wow. Holy. You re, when you, you speak of those little oops on set, um, I reminded of a time that uh, a buddy of mine was visiting Los Angeles and I was working um, on the show. I brought him on um, and he was going to do uh, non-SAG uh, background. You guys worked really hard to put him in the scenes and to make sure that he was walking in the spot where he could be seen and all the background crosses. Well, because we don't see the episodes until our lunch break, even on the day they're coming out, we might be working at night. And so we might not see it, when it before it actually airs. My friend in New York told all his friends and family to watch the show. And then it turned out that because of Link, they had cut out the entire storyline. We had shot those days. They were going to move it to another episode. But of course, because of wardrobe and such, none of those scenes were good anymore. So we had to shoot them from scratch. So everything that he was in ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, he forgave That's me. Sad. But, uh, uh, but I don't know that he forgave the show. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think for me uh, personally, the most difficult scene that I was uh, working in was right after Christmas hiatus. And during the Christmas hiatus, I had hernia surgery. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and then I came back and I get placed like I'm the camera's on my back. I'm the reveal. And I told Carrie, I said, hey, Carrie, I just had surgery. So, uh, be, you know, be easy on me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but I think we did like about like 12 takes with me revealing the scene. So every time I had a reset, I was like hobbling. <laughs> back to one <laughs> and it was like it was so painful it was so painful but you know I got through it and uh I think he saw how much I wouldn't say pain but I was really uncomfortable and he finally like uh, let me sit down for a little while if if I can just share uh just one uh skid is when my mom was uh in a scene she um actually she passed away last year at the age of 95 but she loved the West Wing and she loved the fact that I was on there and she would tell family and friends and she loved Martin she loved everyone so it was um, actually a day that I was not working Carrie had given me permission as well as Dylan to bring my mom to set and uh, perhaps she could be you know she could watch the filming of the show and so they decided, well, why don't we just put Lydia in a scene? So I uh, brought her to wardrobe. She was so excited. And uh, the scene was I'm in front of Margaret's desk and Lenore happened to be standing at one of the file cabinets. And mom's cue was just across behind Lenore and just just do a cross. Lenore, one of our and other background artists, one of our other regular exactly. background artists. Yes. So mom is on one side of the room and I'm actually on the other kind of ready to cue her. And uh, she saw my cue. She saw everyone. She was so excited that she decided on her own to stop and start chatting with Lenore at the file cabinet. And I'm standing on the side, <laughs> waving my arms frantically, trying to get mom to get away and just to keep crossing. She thought it was the best thing just to stand right there, right on camera. <laughs> so she continued for just a moment. She wasn't audible or anything, but she, you know, and of course Lenore re remained in, in character and um, her, Lenore was a good, a good sport. So mom ended up just continuing her cross after that, but uh, I was a nervous wreck for a few minutes. <laughs> good memories. You know, I want to follow up on, um, we mentioned Martin again and, and, and how great he was to everyone there. So great. I know uh, third season, and I believe it became a, a regular event. Um, he took all the regular background, and uh, I know the ADs got to go and, and some other number of the crew uh, to Vegas, uh, all expenses paid. That was quite an experience. And cast. He took some of the cast, and we also played bingo. We would play bingo on two different buses. I think, was it $20,000 he gave away? I think he gave away, if I recall correctly, the way I tell the story is he gave away $10,000 cash on the mm -hmm. bus. And it included, yeah. I think there were like 30 people on a bus and there were 25 door prizes of $100 or something. Just so like, when the where I think the 20000 comes up is because on the way home, he said, next year, we're going to play both ways. Um, on my bus was uh, Catherine Houston and John Spencer sitting directly behind me. I believe we were in Barstow. We had stopped to go to the bathroom. <laughs> there was a, inside the bus, there was a bee or a fly was on the front windshield. I'm not sure if anybody remembers this or they were on my bus. Catherine got up with a newspaper 
determined to kill whatever was on the front windshield. She runs up and smacks the windshield so hard that it cracked the windshield. <laughs> I was there. I saw that. And just in, like looked up and she was just like, oops. The look you know? on her face. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't believe, like, how did you just crack the windshield of a bus with a newspaper? And just one more quick story is I think we were still in Barstow. Martin wanted to stop to get a card. I think it was Thanksgiving. We parked the bus in the parking lot and uh, Martin Sheen gets off the bus. And of course, people who are in the parking lot spot him and come running over. And he realized at that moment, going to the mall at that time <laughs> probably was not a good idea. <laughs> Can I just say the story, if, if I have to describe how wonderful Martin was, we were filming one night at the Olympic Auditorium, and it was a flashback scene where he's the governor, and there's all these elderly people at probably like 10 different tables, and they're seated. They cannot leave. The 80s are like, you stay put. We, you know, nobody move. And it's late at night. Martin grabs bottles of water and chips and snacks and is handing it out to all these people that were just had to stay seated. He's a, he's a wonderful man. He's just the sweetest soul, and we were blessed to work with him. That was Martin. What memories do you guys have? Of maybe where things uh, made the made it made the back when the background work was particularly difficult. I think it was probably when we had to work such late hours. We were doing you know uh, 12, 14, 15 hour days, um, working until early in the morning sometimes, having to get there so early. And being on location, uh, you know, made it difficult because we weren't at home on the Warner Brothers lot. So it was an entirely different place for us to be. Although we had each other, I think it was just the environment was just so different. Yeah, I think uh, usually when we were on location, I remember this, uh, uh, the one time we were downtown at the convention center. It was just crazy. It was, it was really like the president was downtown. And we had so much background, so much crew, so much security. You know, it just became logistically like a nightmare. Sometimes it was just very confusing in terms of, I think, for the ADs, AD teams, the PAs to uh, organize, you know, all, all these people plus crew. Those times were those big, big scenes. Uh, you know, it's, it just ticks a lot out of everybody. I do know that um, I think it was the end of the third season. It's the episode where Martin is deciding whether or not to assassinate a foreign leader, I believe, where he's going to shoot down his plane. And it's meant to cut back and forth between him making these decisions and then a play that's going on. But we didn't have the full episode written by the time we started filming. I know that we had a huge full cast of actors audience members, as you can imagine, is filling a stage hall. And I don't think much of it is actually in the episode. Um, that could be some of the challenges on that show as well. Sometimes we were filming a little bit ahead of uh, when things were written. One of the seasons towards the end, we were waiting on pages. And you've got a full cast and crew waiting on pages. And we would just take a break. For us, it's great. We get to relax, go to craft service, go sit on the back deck. But it was stressful. You know, there's the ADs and producers, you know, when a crew is, a union crew is sitting around doing nothing, the bigwigs are very, very stressed at that moment. 
And just to add to David's story, uh, since I was on the uh, second season of Sports Night, which ran simultaneously with the first season of The West Wing, you had Aaron, who was writing the scripts for both shows. And there were days on Sports Night where we would also just sit around with no pages to shoot because Aaron and Tommy were on The West Wing <laughs> shooting. Um, I just remember that when we would have those I would I would go in the back and run dialogue with Richard Schiff, Toby. And I remember the first time I ever did it, oh, I forget who the PA was, but she's like, do not act. He hates that. And that and I I didn't do it. And then I started running dialogue with Richard pretty much all the time in the back on the deck. I think I ran lines <laughs> with Richard once and uh, it was the the first time it's always very nerve wracking because I didn't get any of those notes from any PA. So uh, oh. I guess uh, my I'm not a very good actor, so he never said anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was in I was in the bullpen once and Martin walked up and gave me his sides and just said, can you run lines with me? And I just thought, OK, here we go. Because I, I, I knew him and I, I knew what he was like and everything. It wasn't too, too bad, but that was pretty much putting me on the spot. <laughs> Happened to be in the right place at the right time, I suppose. The, the saddest thing for me is we didn't have camera phones back then. We lived it. We were there. But that's the sad part for me is I wish I could have documented it better because we saw some amazing and did some amazing things. I don't know if I would. I, I mean, if we had camera phones back then, smartphones, I mean, I don't think we were, we would have been allowed to record all all the stuff that we you know experienced. I'm sure we could have gotten some gotten some nice footage, especially from like the parties, like you know the rap parties or the the Christmas parties. Those were always really fun. You know, it's like for me personally, I just I think remembering those moments seems to be a little more magical. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're right. The thing that uh... Because I knew I was moving after the show ended, and Doug Ornstein, the first AD on the show, he told me that he would always bring a baseball and a pen and a sharpie. So when the show ended, I get I have baseballs with things from you know Rob, not Rob Lowe, um, Martin <laughs> baseball from Martin and from Brad and from Richard. And then I came out and worked on Studio 60, and he said you're standing in for Sting. So it's Sting's final day, and I've got my baseball and Sharpie, and PA's walking Sting to his trailer, and I come up behind him, I'm like, excuse me, Sting, can you sign my baseball? And he's like, totally blown up. He's never signed a baseball in his life. And he was so <laughs> happy to do it. And I still have my Sting baseball, all because That's of amazing. Doug Ornstein. That's funny. Other stories off the top of folks' heads? I mean, there's so many. I, if I can just share one thing, we spoke about, you know, important crosses, I think. I was asked at one point to go into the mural room with a tray full of glasses filled with water, whatever it was. And Don Thorin had decided to start the camera off on my rear end as I walked into the mural room. So um, that was kind of a, <laughs> I just, I had to pretend as though I was crossing from somewhere else and go right into the mural room, had to open up the doors myself with this tray, and then um, had to bring everything in myself into the mural room and, and set, set the tray down. I had a mural room story as well. There was a time when they wanted to cross, I think Martin and John Spencer were leaving the mural room, headed towards 
the Oval Office. And behind them, there were some dignitaries that were just, the meeting was just finishing up. And they wanted a steward in a tuxedo to push in the cart going in the other direction and start cleaning up. But we hadn't cast anybody as a steward. And all of our background were committed to other scenes we had. And so, um, but I was like, darn it, bring me the tuxedo. And so I put the tuxedo on myself and uh, pushed it through. Um, I do have that queued up on my Netflix now. So when I have company over at the house, they have to watch my one little bit of background work on West Wing. But that was my experience. And even that, even that little bit was nerve wracking for me at the time. Well, there were many times when David Katz and, and I had to dress as Marines and stand outside the door to go. So of course, <laughs> like we both had short hair and we both had like that slight build that we could fit into those uniforms back then. And uh, yeah, so we did a lot of double duty when um, when we didn't have enough uh, background to uh, play Marines. The uniform folks were often the same people because because the uniforms were fitted. Those folks would visit wardrobe on another day to make sure that wasn't something you tried to fix when you were trying to film. So we saw some of them regular, but not as often. I do remember a Marine scene, also third season, where it was a large, uh, some sort of reception hall, where there was actually a row of Marines, and Martin was arriving as the president. And I spent a good 15 to 20 minutes, which was a lot of time in an AD's day on set, teaching these six young kids how to salute. I haven't watched the scene in a long time, but to get them to all snap at correctly and at the same time, I, I do hope that made the final cut. Can I tell you a quick story? It was, it's supposed to be late at night and I think it was late at night and it's John Spencer walking into Josh Molina's office and it's end of the night. There's one person in the bullpen room. So they put me at a desk and I'm supposed to be on the phone late at night. And John's walking from the hallway and he's off camera in the beginning. And I'm on the phone. I'm talking to who I'm, you know, play talking. After like five takes, John Spencer came up to me and goes, David, are you really on the phone talking to someone? And I'm like, no, John. And I'm like, that was the biggest compliment you could ever give a background artist. Is you did it so well. You really thought I was talking to someone. One of my first uh, few days there on set on the West Wing, I was put into the Oval Office with everyone. And I walk in and one of the first people that I see is beloved Bradley Whitford on all fours doing an imitation of a cat with a hairball. And I just thought, OK, <laughs> this is the best set to be on because they're just such nice, funny people. And it was just, they made me feel at home and a little nervous, but not really with all of that going on around me and just really, you know, good people to be with. Oh, and I guess I should maybe mention how I started to draw cartoons on set. Oh, right. And uh, the caricatures of the uh, crew and, and the cast and the, and the producers and, and Skid as well. And that was like something that um, I just kind of started like because we had so much downtime on set and I was a visual arts major back in college. And uh, and so I, you know, I would doodle a lot and, you know, just started off just doodling, just maybe some of the background. And then it just started to catch on with the crew. And then, you know, then the crew would be asking me about, hey, like, hey can you uh, can you draw a caricature of me? Of me? And then. You know, over the seasons, once you get to know, uh, you know, know everybody, 
and you become a family, then it's like you you kind of pick up on all everyone's quirks and idiosyncrasies, and and then you know there are so many like funny moments uh, that that occur on set. And so, like on my downtime, I started to draw these cartoons about like a, something that happened on set with somebody, and it was all in in jest, and it was all it was it was just fun, and it was never meant to uh, make fun of anybody. And after a while, you know, I, I you know I was asked by Tommy to do that as part of my my job. Basically, I I think the reason for for it was to because of the long hours that we worked, and you know just to uh, interject some fun and um, and levity uh, to our long work hours. I think everybody got a kick out of those cartoons that I I drew for the show. You know, John, I had forgotten about that, but I think I still have that. It's probably in a frame somewhere with my moving around sense. I think it ended up in a box, but but yeah, I remember that as well. Yeah, and I, John, I still... you parlayed that. You parlayed that into Studio 60. I did. <laughs> I did. That was the only thing I did on, on Studio 60 was, yeah, I was hired, <laughs> I was hired by, uh, by a production just to draw. So, yeah, that was not too bad. <laughs> not too bad. I think speaking of John Spencer, I uh, just wanted to say a moment how great it was working with him and that he is truly missed. I was, I was backstage with him numerous times, and both of us are big gardeners. And he would talk about his uh, his maple trees, his his Chinese maple trees at home, and how many he had, and just just such a very very sweet man, and you know of course dearly missed, and everything from his his mocha coffee drinks to his Nike slide shoes to just his demeanor, he was just the, the nicest nicest man. So I miss him very much. And on that note about John, how about the cinnamon toothpicks that he would always <laughs> offer up to all of us? I totally forgot about a, those. Such a nice man. I love John. Let me ask you guys some more generic questions about um, background work in general. Pretty reliable, pretty regular hours. Uh, that seems like a great gig, although I can still imagine it might have been challenging. From from my experiences, I was actually working on other projects at the same time. So um, I would get on projects and at times not be able to get onto the Western again because I was so busy with something else. But I was working on lots of other films and television projects. And um, as we mentioned before, networking. And so that's how I got to work on a numerous amount of other projects. And I forget, you know, exactly what I've worked on because it's it's been so long. But on the other hand, when you're working so often, it's, it's almost all just a blur, and um, you really don't realize how much you, how many shows you've worked on until you get that that notice from um, is it the the SAG Foundation, whatever, letting you know how you know the shows that you worked on in order to get your benefits, and they would accrue and and show you exactly what you what you've been doing. So I would get those in the mail occasionally, and I'd be like, wow, I totally forgot I worked on that. I would say that the casting director for the West Wing, uh, for the background, uh, came from Central Casting. And so uh, the casting director who did the West Wing would do other shows. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you were requested back on a show, that meant that you were doing something right. And that right. meant that, hey, that you were trusted, that you did a good job. And if that was the case, then they would uh, put you on another show and because they would trust that you would do uh, well and uh on that show and i mean that's how background get work is because you do good work on a show and if you're lucky enough to be a regular on one show the chances of you getting more work on other shows it's going to happen 
Good. Um, I'm not sure who exactly. I mean, I know a bunch of us were requested by the movie Collateral Damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Were you guys on that with? Because I was on that. Lenore was on that. Um, they requested the background of the West Wing because of our appearance, how professional we were, our demeanor, of course, our, our clothing um, to look as though we worked in that office where Arnold was. And so um, we were working on a few projects, it seems like, at one time. So I was not on collateral damage. And I'll have to check <laughs> to see, because if anyone over there had asked me, I would have told them about how much trouble they were bringing up. <laughs> what did I do on West Wing that episode? Like, all right, I guess I'm going to fill in off the bench the entire group if all of you guys are over on while, your big while movie Lenore set. And I wow. were doing <laughs> Lenore and I were doing stunts over on the collateral damage set. You'll have to ask her about that. We were diving under tables. <laughs> um, can I go back to what Annette was saying? The most important thing for background actors, insurance. Getting our insurance is right. so important. Making enough to get insurance, making enough to get another year in our pension. And David, when you're talking to the kids at your school now, they don't get excited about the insurance and the the vesting year to year. No, that's, that's, that's not, not one of the stories that really doing. gets their that gets their excitement going about <laughs> wanting to get into background work. The the one story they well they all know that I was on a show Numbers where I blew up. I'm the beginning intro of the show. They all know <laughs> I that blew up on, on Numbers, and uh, <laughs> the, the parents, the kids don't watch Westway. The parents. Every parent watched it when it was on. So there's a lot of West Wing fans. I mean, we were. Oh, there's you don't so talk many. Of, so many. And we don't talk about it when you're in LA. When you get out of LA, we're rock stars. I mean, people want to know about the show and what we did and what are the actors like. So it, it's really sweet. I have a funny story to tell. Uh, I was. Um, Melissa Fitzgerald had had invited me to a uh, her, uh, her launch of her PSA uh, for Justice for, for Guts, and uh, so the, it was taking place over at Warner Brothers. I, I I went to it and 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 I stood in for Peter James Smith on the West Wing, who plays Ed on the show. <laughs> or was that Larry? <laughs> oh, nobody knows. <laughs> but there were there were other people that were invited to. Uh, to the launch, and they were just fans of the show. I got mistaken for Peter a lot of times. Oh no! Like initially, I wasn't like I didn't I didn't realize that, right? And then you know, people were just like asking me questions about the show and so on, and I was like, yeah, this is great. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was just like, oh wait a minute, these people think that I'm uh, Peter James Smith. I did. Um, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to visit the actual West Wing because my wife was working for the executive branch at the time and you could sign up for little tours. And so we got to go and, and walk through it. I got to admit, I think our set was better than theirs. It's, we had more windows and more to see and just the actual West Wing, it felt kind of cramped and crowded. And our folks added uh, improvements to it that I think could have gone back the other direction. I was always a little disappointed in the real thing. Other thoughts? I just want to touch on, we had the greatest cinematographer, Tom Del Ruth, working on our show. For the one time we were filming close to Paramount and he made the sun. I didn't realize how amazing it was until you start talking to like the gaffers and electricians. And they're like, what he's doing right now is genius. The things that he did, how, how beautiful our show looked. It was wonderful. 
And touching on another thing, I just want to say as a background performer with these walk and talks, foot foam. You had to have the right because you have some non-union person show up with clack shoes, sound would go bonkers. So there was this foam that you would stick onto the bottom of your shoes, and it was foot foam. And we all had the right shoes, the, the regulars, we knew what shoes to wear. If, but some of these people would click and clack and drive sound nuts. One more uh, serious memory um, from that time we worked together is we were all on West Wing during 9-11. If I can just uh, share, I was getting ready um, at my apartment to get ready to leave, and my neighbor came running over to tell me what had happened. I, of course, I had gone anyways to, to Warner Brothers, and uh, that's when, you know, they were letting people know that we couldn't come in, that we had to go home and all of that. But I just remember the memorial that we had on the back lot. Warner Brothers has their own fire department, and so I remember that they had this huge flag that they unfurled. And not only was our show, the, the cast and crew members from our show there, other shows were there too on the back lot. And uh, it was just very, very emotional just to, you couldn't even really digest what was happening. It was just, but just to see everyone and, and just to speak and just to be together was so important. To go through that was just, you know, something I'll never forget. So then when we go to work, they would have, you, they'd stop every car and search it. That, that completely changed after 9-11 for all of us. Coming in a lot was, took a lot more time. They told you to get there super early because it was a backup. They went through backpacks. We, and they looked underneath our cars, in the trunks. It was serious. Yeah, I think that was when we, when the regular background, when we actually started getting our, like our own studio badges so that we could get in quicker. And yeah, I just remember shooting the uh, that episode um, where, where, you know, where Aaron just wrote this play, and it was very different than than all the other episodes because it was just one of those standalone episodes where it, it, it had nothing to do with like the story arcs for the season. And uh, you know, I just remember how I, w I don't want to say dark, but just the, the vibe on the set was just very kind of touch and go and everyone was just I don't know it was, it was it was definitely it was a strange time for sure I'm not sure that was one of our best reviewed episodes when we talk about that <laughs> when we talk about that season coming in at a 50 percent well to end on a lighter note let me say it's been great seeing you guys any any last memories that um you recall from those days you know I'll, I'll always go back to Martin and how he was towards not only us but uh, for instance, the security guards that were around our stage. And one evening it was just so chilly, not, none of the, the guards had their jackets on. You know, I was happened to be there. He asked, you know, why don't they have their jackets? It's so cold out here. And um, the guard said, we never got our jackets. They told us that we're not going to be getting them for a while. The next day, day or two after, they had their jackets. And um, they had said that it was because Martin put in a word for them. So um, he cared for not just us, uh, the cast and crew and everyone, but also people, everyone that, that was, you know, was was around us. That was part of our, our family, our extended family. For me, last day of shooting, one of our executive producers, Alex Graves, uh, 
I was just kind of like in one of the quarters by myself and maybe, and he was coming through and he saw me and, uh, I, I know David, you were around because what happened was that Alex just came up to me and just thanked me for all my contributions and for all, all the, you know, all the years that we were all together as a family. And, you know, I was like, Oh, that's, that's really, really nice. And then Alex left. And I just remember David, you came up to me and you said, Johnny, do you know how special that is for Alex to come up to you and say that to you? I didn't, it didn't register just because we were such, you know, we, we were all like one big family. It was our West Wing family. And, you know, sometimes we were, we, it was a little dysfunctional, but you know, in the end, it was just a time of our lives where there was a lot of good things happened and we, we all, uh, we all shared that together. We'll always have that and we'll always have all our friendships because of the West Wing. Can I just say that there were, I think, 70 or 72 babies born during those seven years on the West Wing? Because we knew we were, we, you know, I had my two ADs had their kids, you know, but we knew we were coming back. And to know that you're going to have income for the next year is big in our business, you know? Yeah. And there were so many kids born and it was just, that was wonderful. Yeah, there were some crazy times, but it was one big family. It's really a, a great memories. And I really appreciate you guys uh, spending the time today walking down memory lane. It's been fun. That concludes our show, but it's only half of what we want to say about the West Wing. Next episode, I'll continue the conversation with a new group of background. Hopefully there won't be any trouble with continuity. Thanks as always to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. And as always, please send email feedback to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. There's also a Facebook page. You can find us at Podcast Below the Line, One Word. We'll see you next time.